Welcome to the Louis Talks podcast, a podcast where I do what I do best, talk and chat to people. So this morning I've got on the podcast with me Sharon Edge. Sharon and I met recently at a networking event in Birmingham and copy within branding has always been something that has fascinated me. And Sharon and I really get into a conversation of what does good copy really look like and how effective is copy? So for those of you who may not have heard that industry term, copy basically just means all of the words, the written words in either marketing or branding. So it could be in a brochure, it could be on a website, it could even be social media posts. So we talk about what good copy looks like, how to produce it, what to look out for when you're working with a copywriter and how much of a difference can it make? Because it's one of those interesting things that Sharon and I talk about is generally everybody can write. Now, not everyone can take good photographs or design a website. And so most of the time when people start businesses, they leave those things up to freelancers or professionals. But because everyone can technically write, a lot of people end up writing their own copy. And so what they don't realize is sometimes those messages that they're putting out there aren't actually the best for their business. They're not actually the most efficient way of communicating the message. And what we often get in business is a classic case of the horse blinkers. You think your message is one thing, but a consumer might actually think something else. So copywriting, good copywriting, is about you writing the messages for your customers, not for the business. It's what they want to hear. And if you do that in the right way, not only will you obviously sell more product, but you're going to get more customer engagement. And ultimately, it's going to make a huge difference to your business getting that copyright. So please enjoy this fantastic chat with Sharon Edge. Good morning. How are you? All right. Are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast to have a chat to me. Um, right. And so I, I wanted to have a chat with you, obviously, about what you did and um really talk about copy within marketing and and um it's something that is a big gripe of mine that so many businesses that i've worked with in the past so many large businesses still i think have got a multiple personality disorder when it comes to their brand uh, and when it comes to their copy so obviously yeah. um first things first i'd love to hear about your background tell everyone you know what you've done uh, what you do now and and then we'll get into the conversation if that's okay sure yeah no problem um my name's Sharon Edge, so I run Edge Copy. Um, it's a co copywriting and brand language um, service for businesses and brands, helping um, businesses connect to their customers with using words. And customers, I mean, in the broadest sense, it could be, you know, retail customers or it could be internal customers. It could be business to business. Whoever you're trying to communicate to, I help people do it better, basically, and more effectively. Um, my background started off many years ago in newspaper advertising, and let me tell you, that is a place to learn some craft in a very fast way, very steep learning curve. Um, I've worked in-house on marketing teams, um, and I've also been head of copy at a fairly big creative agency here in the Midlands. But for the last five years, I've been working independently. So, yeah, I've done a lot of retail. Um, a lot of my backgrounds in retail, but these days I, I work to a much broader client base. I do quite a lot in tech for technical clients um, who often find finding that 
accessible voice quite tricky while still, you know, remaining professional. Um, I've also worked in the charitable sector um, and also some public sector clients and things like that as well. So quite broad these days. Yeah, fab, brilliant. And and so with that in mind, obviously, from the kind of broad spectrum of, of the clients you work with, um, it's probably a bit of a loaded question, but what, what does a good tone of voice start with? Um, you know, how, how do you go about starting to understand how to create that for a business? Yeah, um, well, <clears throat> most things in copywriting, I spend many I've spent many hours of my life telling clients it's not about you what, what you want to say. It's thinking about what your clients need to hear, your customers need to hear. Tone of voice, oddly, is slightly against that grain because tone of voice for a client really is about digging into who they are as a brand, as a business. And, what, and that could be a massive multinational or it could be, you know, a little lovely niche startup. It's about finding out who you are. Um and that involves quite a lot of soul searching. It's, it's often easier for, for the small startup because they've usually got a real clear vision of who they are and why they have, you know, begun trading. Sometimes it's the medium size to larger businesses because they have many objectives, many, many stakeholders. They find it hard to define very simply who they are and what they stand for. But that's what it really is. It's about digging into your brand or business's personality and figuring out who you are and imagining, you know, if your brand was a person, what kind of person would it be? What would they sound like? What kind of stories would they tell? Would they be funny? You know, would they be very serious? Um, and so oftentimes if a brand really has no idea about their tone of voice, we, we start by spending quite a lot of time doing a really good dig into their values, their people, their objectives, finding out who they are as brand, really. That's the main thing. If you don't know who you are, you can't sound truly like yourself because you're, uh, you're fragmented, your personality is fragmented. So that's always the, the first step. Brilliant. And I think it, it's quite interesting because um, much like you, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this kind of wide transition moving from when I first started working in sort of consultancy, you'd see brands as as a company were always the leader whereas i'm seeing this massive shift now into personal branding within organizations i mean linkedin have just completely changed their algorithms to favor the people within the businesses mm -hmm. so is, is is that something you've seen within copywriting is actually the personalities of the the ceo or the founders actually coming out more in that copy yeah i think that's definitely a trend at the moment and i'm sure it's born out of as you say, a lot of it's born out of social media and the accessibility of real people within within companies. We, we know these days a lot more about founders and CEOs than we did, say, 20 years ago, when it was oftentimes just a, you know, a faceless board that no, nobody, nobody knew and nobody really thought about. Um, these days, a lot of brands have what we call founder stories. Um, sometimes the founder was 150 years ago. Um, sometimes it's, you know, the person who's running the business now. Um, and sometimes some of the people and companies that I've worked with have a great deal of discussion about what's the brand's voice and what's the founder's voice if the founder is still running the business. Um, and they don't have to be. In fact, they probably shouldn't be one and the same. 
but obviously they do need to sweet in together and, and sound like they're coming from the same place, telling the same stories, sound like they have the same values. Um, but, but yeah, something I've done a few times actually is think about, okay, this is the brand talking and this is, you know, Joe talking or whoever, whoever it is, whoever the founder is and finding the, the connections between those two voices and when we use one and when we use the other one. So, so would that be more specific to a particular platform? Let's say if it was LinkedIn and they were talking obviously about them personally versus sort of the website or say the company Twitter account versus their own is, is that the sort of thing you mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Particularly things like Twitter. I think LinkedIn's a little bit different because it's usually very clear whether you're looking at the brand or whether you're looking at the person, something like Twitter, it's not always clear who's talking. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a bit of a minefield actually, I find, because of course the other thing about social media is it doesn't want to sound too refined. If everything you put out on Twitter or whatever social media platform you're on sounds like it's been really finely crafted by a copywriter or, you know, everything sounds marketing slick, doesn't sound like social media anymore. So it does still need to sound a little bit like someone just thought that, you know, oh, this is a great piece of news to share, tapity tap tap. Um, So again, it's about finding that balance between something that sounds real or not just sounds, but is authentic and immediate um but not making any mess ups you know yeah. it still yeah. still need to be on brand you still need to use appropriate language um and yeah to your point you also need to be very clear who's talking here is this a message directly from the ceo or or another member of the team um or is just or is this just the voice of the brand and that that can cause some consternation in marketing teams I can tell you yeah I'm sure you've as well. <laughs> yeah sure I mean I I just think that it's it's a really interesting time in marketing and, and in general because you, you're seeing this human element of the brand come out mm. and mm. and as you said that the challenge is getting that balance of the founder and and even some of the team members talking mm. because they're the humans behind the business and and I think you know you see great brands like Innocent. I, I remember meeting Joe McEwen, um, I think back in about 2011, 2012, when Innocent were really switching their social media strategy from you know, everyone else in the business was just using it to hard sell. It was offers and free postage and tomorrow there's 25% off. And Innocent then said, well, actually, we're not going to sell anything, but we're going to build rapport through social mm-hmm. by showing off the people in the business. So I, th- so I think it's that challenge I'm seeing of getting the human element of the brand out there and and the people behind the business and the team members while still having that consistent overarching sort of umbrella brand language and brand tone as as the organization kind of behind all of these people so so i i think it it's challenging but it's it is fun to see companies I, I think, I don't know what you think about it, but stepping more away from that sort of real old-fashioned, super serious, super corporate messaging and moving more into we're all just humans and even though we're, we have businesses, it's also important that we generally buy from other people. Um, we buy from people that we like. And so part of that challenge is how to get that across in a professional way and how to get that human message across in your copy, in your video, on your social, whilst, like you said, still remaining professional and within the boundaries. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is where having not just a brand tone of voice, but everything about your brand being really true to who you are. If you do that, everyone who faces the camera or tweets on social or whatever they're doing, if if what you're saying and how you're talking about your brand is really true and authentic, it will be natural. So, okay, Bob in sales might sound a little bit different from, you know, Sarah in marketing, but because they're all truly coming from the same place, their individual voices will sound like they're part of the same choir. If your tone of voice and your brand guidelines is a bit all over the shop and you don't really know who you are, then those voices will start to clash. So I still think it goes back a lot to knowing who you are as a brand, having a vision that everybody shares, objectives that everybody shares, understanding who the brand personality is, and then those individual voices, you know, they'll all just sound like part sweet. So I think I hate the word authenticity because it's so overused at the moment. And it's usually me used to mean things that really aren't authentic. You just say they're authentic. But in this case, I think that it, the word is appropriate. If you've got that authentic um, brand tone, brand values behind you, it helps. It really helps overcome that problem. Yeah, and, and I think uh, I completely agree. I see it a lot within startups, particularly in an SME sector. I think some bigger organizations, not all, because I think, you know, we all see those real kind of bad cases of marketing copy and multiple personality disorder, even in the biggest businesses. Mm -hmm. But I think it particularly seems to affect the SME sector because, you know, they sort of get, you know, Debbie in accounts to write something up because she quite likes to write at the weekends. And and I yeah. think there is this, you know, neglect of really good copy. And, and I think, as you've seen over the years, people read less. And so actually it's it's having, you know, less is more. And so the copy that you do have now has to work even harder to capture people's attention because instead of somebody reading a website for, you know, five minutes or whatever it is, you might only have 25 seconds to grab them at the first header to, to drive that through and, and to drive an outcome. So so I'd be interested to hear your opinion on the SME and startup sector as well. Yeah, Um the problem, I completely agree with everything you've just said. And one of the problems that sometimes you have to overcome is that with startups and SMEs, there's often a very, well, almost always is, a very strong personality behind it. And that person is super skilled at doing whatever it is that they're doing, making the service they're creating, obviously, because um, they're running a successful business. That's not an easy thing to do. However, it doesn't necessarily mean they automatically know how to write and communicate for that brand but sometimes there is a resistance to letting letting that go um and i think the problem that you find with writing um as opposed to any of the other creative services is that of course pretty much everybody can write we can all read and write um so everybody thinks they're a writer, you know, and I've heard this in other industries too, you know, you're a screenwriter, everybody on the set is a screenwriter, but nobody else tries to be the director. Um, and it's just the same in marketing. Nobody, nobody tries to, you know, start wielding artwork around, but they will try and have another go at the copy. Um, you also have sometimes competing voices in SMEs. So, you know, you've got someone running sales who's got a set of objectives, 
someone in PR has got a different set of objectives, CAO thinks something else again. Um, so you often have multiple stakeholders all passionately believing that their message is the most important one. So it can take a bit of diplomacy sometimes to um, to wrestle the copy you know, out of everybody's claws and say, look, just let me show you if we just just did these few tweaks, <laughs> just turn it around a little bit and look how much more powerful it is. And sometimes it really is the seeing is the believing. They don't get it until you see it. And then it's like, oh, right, yeah, that sounds much, that sounds much better. We get it now. Um, but it's fine because that, that only comes from a place of commitment and dedication to to the project people want to do it themselves because they believe that they can do it they've got something important to say they understand their customer or their project or whatever product whatever it is and they passionately want to talk about it so it's so it's coming from a good place um but yeah sometimes you do, it's not always obvious to people that copywriting is much is as much of a skill and an important tool in a marketing toolbox as design, artwork, 3D, video, whatever else it is. But those things, because they're more technical, people tend to let the experts, to a degree, um, <laughs> get on with it, uh, at least until you get the first round of amends. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it can, it can be tricky. And, and it can be tricky also to, but it's a really important thing to do, Sometimes you do have those competing needs within a business. I'm just thinking of an example um, of a children's hospice that I did quite a lot of work with on their tone of voice. And one of the things that was most difficult for them was that the different departments had really, diff really different needs. I mean, it's, it's always the case in any business, but in something like this, it really showed the differences because the people in fundraising wanted to sound, quite understandably, upbeat, fun you know come to our fun run do our moonwalk you know come and shave your hair off whatever crazy thing they'd come up with they wanted joe public to come along in droves and give them money so they wanted to sound feel good and upbeat and exciting now there's another team in there that are dealing with communicating with families whose children are in the hospice or who have sadly passed away they don't want to sound like that you know <laughs> they've got a completely different set of messages that requires a different way of talking. And of course, there were many other departments in between. Another one, for example, dealt with major donors. So people who were giving thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of pounds to buy a new piece of equipment or whatever. They're like, we, well, we can't sound like either of those guys. We need to sound different again. And they were all right. They were all right. But what we didn't need to do was sound like half a dozen different different hospices or half a dozen different brands because although they were hospice it's still a brand um so a lot of the work that i did with them was about finding a brand tone of voice and it was also true for the visual the, you know the visual guidelines as well the people who are working on the visual to find something that was true to their essence but that was flexible enough that everybody could work within the brand guidelines and still hit their objectives and it was not, a, and you know, it wasn't a one-pager thing to do. You know, it took it took quite a lot of, of, of digging and refinement, and refine again, to find something that said, look, this this is how we sound. This is true to us in every aspect of our work, 
and this is how you use it and this is how you use it and use it and use it but it's quite a difficult thing to do and I mean that's quite an extreme example because of the nature of the work that they did but I think it's just as true in many other businesses people who you know run different aspects of their company they've got targets to hit they've got objectives to meet and they want a voice that suits them but obviously you've got to find that flexibility flexibility is is huge if, if a brand tone of voice isn't flexible it's not really you can't use it it's just it's just for but maybe it's just for above the line advertising but it won't go anywhere else you know sure yeah and i think tone of voice is quite an interesting thing and um again probably a loaded question but i'd like to ask you what you think a good tone of voice should look like because i've seen many many different types of tone of voice everything from a single paragraph and another sentence all the way up to a sort of 25 page document I mean, I, I kind of feel like there's somewhere in between that it shouldn't be it shouldn't be yeah. overly complicated, but it also should, shouldn't be overly simple because then if somebody picks it up, how are they going to craft a message that, let's say, Sharon's written all of their copy, but um, <clears throat> Sharon's away on holiday and, and somebody else needs to come in and do it. it yeah. It's having that transferable tone of voice that somebody else can pick up and understand the brand. So from your perspective, what what would that probably look like? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Something too short is not really useful because if you do a one-pager that tells people, for example, to be upbeat and warm or something like that, well, you get 10 different people in the room and they'll all, they'll all think that means a different thing. So it does need to have enough richness, perhaps examples, do's and don'ts, example sentences, things like that, so that people get it. Um, but on the other hand, I, like you, have seen tone of voice guidelines that go on for, you know, 200 pages. And unless you're writing for a very specialist set of people, I think that's too much. Because the main thing you've got to think about is I want someone to get this out of their drawer and look at it. And if it's 200 pages long and really dense text, who wants to do that? You know, they just want to type an email out. They haven't got time to sit, you know, for two hours and read this document. So there's a practical element to it as well. Um, so generally I would say a good tone of voice sets up by saying this is our you know paragraph or two this is our tone and it sounds like this because it reflects who we are and and this is who you know quick reminder this is who we are and this is why we like to sound this way um, and then I usually would dig into a little bit of why that is to help people understand okay so we've used the word upbeat I just use that as an example what do, what do we mean when we say upbeat and what, what does that say about us? What does it mean when we when we say we sound professional? You know, little taking apart those pillars of the tone of voice and explaining what they are. And then usually. Because some people some people just learn by seeing examples, plenty of people are just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But just show me what that means. So I would always include some do's and don'ts. Here's a here's a paragraph of how we don't say it. Here's a paragraph of how we do say it. Um, some key um, business messages. Every business has some key messages that they talk about all the time, whether that's we make everything in Britain or we're a family company or whatever it might be. So ways of writing those key messages um, and how to flex them, you know. So if we're, say we're doing something, we've had to do a product recall, something bad has happened, you know, a bit of crisis management. This is how we tweak it when we're in crisis mode. And then sometimes it might be appropriate, might not, depending on the business, but to do a little bit, as I said, for those different um, 
for those different markets. So this is how this is how our tone of voice grows. This is how it's flexible. These are the building blocks. This is what we use our day to day business. These are our key phrases, our vocabulary bank, those kinds of things. Then there's another layer. Say we're fundraising. This is what we do when we're, you know, all jazz hands and trying to get Joe Public involved. Or here's another layer that it sounds like if we're recruiting, you know, how do we talk about how does this tone of voice work when we're recruiting? Or as I said, when we're in crisis management. So I would certainly include a bit about that flexibility um, so, that so that people understand that it work, can work for them. And it also, by just on a practical level, by compiling a tone of voice guideline in that sort of chunky chunk way, Sometimes people can just need to dip into it. They don't need to read whole, you know, 50 pages or whatever it might be. They can they can dip in and out of it. Okay, I've got to write this email. I'm not sure if we talk about this or not or how we talk about this. Let's just do a quick reminder. Um, so that it's user-friendly. It's got to be a user-friendly document. That's absolutely crucial. I think I, I agree with you. I've seen these really big convoluted documents, and my first thought is, do you know what? I think they're going to go in everybody's drawer and I don't think they're ever going to see the light of day again because they just don't look like something people are going to want to engage with on a day-to-day -day basis when they're really busy. So. Yeah, definitely. And and I think one of the challenges as well is getting buy-in across the team, but, but not only that, but, you know, extrapolating it into the company culture because mm. I think, you know, that the tone of voice is such a powerful thing that serves as a communication tool internally, uh, internally and externally. But it's how to get that across, because like you said, otherwise you do get this disjointed communication. And, and especially one of the biggest things I see is social media. And, it, you know, every platform is so uniquely different to an audience and, you know, a specificity of marketplace. And, it, and it's like you said, how do you get that across in, mm. in these different ways? You know, LinkedIn is b2b space and you're either hiring or you're connecting with potential customers so there's there's sort of di a few different messaging there but then twitter is different and instagram and so mm -hmm. i I, th I think it, you know it's, it's not really a question but i suppose i'd be interested in your opinion on how, how you actually do that then because once the brand guidelines are created and the tone of voice is created what kind of process do you need to go through with the team as well to make sure that mm -hmm not only do they just have a document that like you said goes in a drawer but understands why tone of voice is so important and and ultimately as in all marketing we're trying to add results to the bottom line whether that be more customers or a bigger audience or higher revenue and and how that translates to everybody understands that by using a coherent copy because uh, i think that's one of the challenges I always, and particularly, again, SMEs and startups is understanding what a brand actually is because I think a lot of people, it's it's a logo and a colour scheme, but obviously mm. it's it's far deeper than that and tone of voice is one of the most crucial parts of that whole brand identity. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have fairly frequently, um, after uh, you know a tone of voice document has been completed, we'll spend some time in with the marketing team or whichever other appropriate teams um, are going to be using this to really talk them through it and make them see that this isn't something that it is being, in, it's not just another job, it's not just another, oh God, now we've got this to think about. This is something that's actually been created to help them. Just as you said, it, it can increase, increase click rates, it can help drive up sales, it can get more customers signing up, you know, whatever. It's gonna, it's there to to help them hit their targets, not to be just another thing to tick the box off. Um, and 
if people re again we go back to this idea of being being true to yourself if it is true to the brand and the objectives or the product or whatever whatever it is that you're trying to do people get it much more quickly they're like oh yeah this sounds like us this is what i've i've been trying to do this when i make my sales calls i'm never quite sure how to say it you know you get that immediate oh right yeah this is the thing this is going to help us if you don't get that reaction and you get a lot of raised eyebrows and crossed arms then maybe you've got to think hmm if we get you know is this right <laughs> but fortunately that that's a that's a very rare occurrence by the time we get to this stage because so much thought is you know and work has gone into it um and it does also make their job easier uh, in a day-to-day -day level again you know thinking about someone who's making sales calls for example or who's writing social media posts instead of thinking every day oh gosh how am i going to approach this one should I say it like this? I should I say it like that? Or do we use that word? I don't know if we do. You know, it just makes things easier. It's almost like a crib sheet. It's like, oh, right, yeah, I know how we talk about this. And to some degree, it makes individual jobs simpler. It should do. If it starts to cripple what people are trying to say, either we're trying to say the wrong thing or there's something gone hinky with the tone of voice because they should absolutely dovetail together. There shouldn't be any of those funny crunch points where you think, Oh, this isn't this isn't working. Um, that is not something I would expect to see at the point that we were rolling it out to the team, but it is certainly something that would often come up when we're workshopping things or trying things out. You know, all of a sudden you come across a message and you think, oh, I just can't. This isn't working. I can't say it in this tone. And that's when we have a conversation. Well, are we saying the wrong thing? Is that not a message we should be talking about? Or is there something we need to tweak in the tone of voice that enables you to tell that story in an effective and um you know a, 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 an on-brand way but yeah there is a lot of work to be done um with teams because i think it's very um you know you get a lot of people in marketing or ceos or whatever really keen to get the brand of tone of voice done but you oftentimes they're not always the ones with the hands on the keyboards or the cameras or whatever who are actually making it come to life so you've absolutely got to make sure that everybody in the organization understands it understands why we're doing it um and how to use it really yeah fab yeah com completely agree and i think other thing i'd be interested to know from you is i i try and do this with lots of different businesses is before i actually come in and work with them is i try and get them to think before i'm coming in to see them about some of these sort of deep questions because i think otherwise what you and i don't know whether you get this but sometimes you end up unraveling things that they've never even thought about and so then there's a whole process of you know a bit a bit like humans in general um we are our inner mysteries of our personality are often mm. sort of quite hidden even from ourselves and it's sometimes other people in your life that can point it out better than you mm. but but i think it is important for businesses to understand consistently what they actually do and what they're trying to do as a long-term mission um yeah I, I agree. And I, like you, um, oftentimes you would say to the people that you're going to meet with, this is what we're going to talk about. Have a think about who you are as a brand, what your personality is or what you want it to be. Um, but the very th interesting thing is people would normally do that individually. And then when it's when everybody gets around the table, <laughs> you find, oh, wow. OK, so everybody thinks the brand is something different. And that's exactly as you just described about in a, in a mystery is being hidden even from ourselves oftentimes you'll get people around the, the the table looking at each other 
in complete dis disbelief that they all thought something different. Until that moment, everybody had just assumed that everybody else thought the same as them. And it's only when you unpack it around the table that you realize, oh, okay, this sound brand sounds fragmented because we've got half a dozen different opinions of exactly what it is. Um, and that's the point. And this is where sometimes you can have some, what would I say, that sometimes I've seen some fairly um, passionate debates around the table, not including me, of course, or ever the diplomats, um, but between the key players in an organization because, you know, they're, as I said before, they all feel passionately about what they're doing. And then it's like, no, we're not that. How could you possibly think we're that, you know? But if you keep digging, you do find, I've never, I've never come across a situation where I didn't find in the end some shared beliefs and values. Um, and sometimes it's just that people articulate those things in, in different ways. Um, so, you know, someone in sales will interpret a particular personality trait in one way, whereas somebody in HR will interpret it in a different way. But if you keep on digging and saying, well, what do you mean by that? And why do you think we do that? Why would we need to sound that? Why, 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 why? Like a four-year-old. Why, why, why? You do usually find this bedrock of shared um, belief and understanding about the brand. And that's where you start to build and build some, um, you know, consistency around the table. Uh, so sometimes there's, you know, it's pain before gain sometimes, you know, to to get that consistency. But then, but then it's really strong because people have, it's not just something people have thought up on the moment. It's something that they've debated, discussed and agreed on as a team. So you've got really strong foundations then to build on. But yeah, sometimes it can be a bit of a, you know, a bit of a rocky road to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> sure, definitely. And and I think I, I, I see a, a couple of common issues with with brand in general i think one of them is that people get horse blinkered in looking at their company or their brand in a certain way from their perspective not mm -hmm. from a customer's perspective and obviously that reflects on the brand and the copy and how everything is put across from sales all the way through to a website and i think the other thing as well is people get very much stuck in the the what and the how you know, we make widgets, we make really good ones, we make them in Birmingham, we've been doing it for 25 years, we're so great, we're so lovely, and actually not thinking about, well, what 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 are you actually trying to to connect with the customer on? I mean, I don't know whether you're a fan, but I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Simon Sinek, you know, and, and his um, sort of golden ratio of brands, which is the why, then comes the what and the how, and it's that leading with purpose because i think this is where a lot of businesses lack purpose they yeah. sort of say well you know we make nuts and bolts you know and, and that's it <laughs> yeah. and and then you know wondering why a customer actually doesn't necessarily attach to that and we're all emotional beings i mean you know humans like to think of themselves as these incredibly logical creatures but actually mm. we're incredibly illogical and incredibly emotional and so I think that's one of the big things that I see that's missing in copy is it's missing personality. It's missing emotion. It's missing a, a mission or a connection to a customer. So I'm, you know, really interested as, as a copywriter, what, what your perspective on that is as well. Yeah, definitely. I think there are two points in, in, in everything you've just said, which I totally agree with. Um, and the first is this thing about what you want to say and what the customer wants to hear. Um, and you see that a lot. And I think I see it particularly these days in business to business 
I think a lot of people who are selling business to consumer have kind of got around this idea of not all of them, but, you know, most of the time it's about they understand this idea of what's the benefit to the customer. You know, we've been in business 25 years. So what? What does that mean to the customer? Well, it means reliability. It means trust. You know, I think a lot of B2C people have kind of got to this. But I do see in business to business quite often this idea, as you've said, we sell widgets and we're great at it. You know, so come and come and buy for us and sort of sit back and wait for the orders to come in. That's very simplistic, but but you know what I mean. And I think I talk a lot to business to business customers about that clients mine about the customers are still customers, and as you said, they're still humans. They don't drop their humanity at the door when they come to work. They still like placing orders with businesses that they trust, that ring true to them, who sound like them, who sound like they get them, um, and also that warmth friendliness those things don't disappear either when we come to work everybody likes to work with people that that are nice and sound sound friendly and warm um and whether that's going back to what we said earlier whether that's the voice of the brand talking or whether that's individuals within the brand so it's still just as important and the other thing is as you sort of hinted at there it's this emotional connection if people didn't have emotional connections to brands, there would be no such thing as advertising. There would be no such thing as brands. You know, they exist because people, whether they like it or not, do form attachments to brands. And oftentimes people will say, no, 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 I don't. No, I don't. And then it's like, well, why did you buy that washing app liquid and not that one? Why have you got those trainers and not the other ones? Oh, well, yeah, I just like them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people do. It's an emotional connection. And this is where that tone is absolutely, you know, really, really important. And I often talk to people in business about the things that they love, you know, okay, talk to me about why you buy the shoes you do or the glasses that you do or, you know, whatever it might be. And think about, you know, when their emails pop into your inbox or, you know, when you follow them on Instagram, what is it that's making you drawn to drawn to them? Because often it's, you know, people say it's the product. Well, to a certain degree, it is the product. But there'll be 100 people selling that product. You've chosen them for a reason. And it's because usually there's a resonance between brand and customer. We sound like the same people. We sound like we've come from the same place. We're using the same vocabulary, telling similar stories. And that's absolutely as true if you're selling widgets as if you're selling, you know, fancy pants, designer handbags or whatever it might be. Um absolutely just as true because the person that's that's reading or listening to your messages is a, is a human being he's not a robot or she's not a robot who's purely going to make their decision on well you know i've got to buy a new boiler for the business that's a very dull purchase hundreds of companies sell boilers oh these guys look good i understand their website they they're not talking in jargon to me oh they've made it really easy for me to choose the one that's right they're going to get the business rather than the ones who talk about how many, you know, widgets there are per cubic centimetre or whatever it happens to be. Just as important, this emotional connection. And when you look at the brands out there in the world who are super, you know, the super brands, emotional connection is absolutely the heart of their success. People love them. They love them. Um, and, you know, not everybody's a super brand. You and I, we often work with SMEs, startups, emotional connection 
every bit as important. Why are people going to choose you? Because you sound good, you know, you sound fun, you sound interesting, whatever it whatever it might be that you're that those little, you know, touch points that resonate with people. So yeah, emotional connection, it's uh it's fundamental to what we do. Definitely. And and I think it's something that any sized business can take from, like you said, the super brands. I mean, it sounds cliche but we don't want customers, we want fans. And that sort of that switch of seeing somebody in a different way and how to create that rapport and build that relationship on an emotional level. And of course, that transfers all the way through the business. I mean, it still surprises me how many businesses win a big contract and don't send a gift to the customer that they've just won the contract from that, you know, that builds rapport and the trust and appreciation. But of course, your messaging should do that way before that point as well. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I think video is so powerful these days because of that, because it's again, it's that window into people. It's a window into their business. And like you said, drives that emotional connection. And I think the more that people can realize that, that this is what, like you said, the big brands are playing on. You know, it's like I say to people all the time, I'm very passionate about scent marketing and aroma because it's uh, known in science as involuntary memory. When we smell something and we've smelt it before, it triggers a memory pathway. They use it in Alzheimer's research. So, you know, so it's very, it's very deeply connected to us. And big brands are doing it all the time. You know, when you buy an Apple product and if if there are Apple fans out there like me, when you open the box, you get a little whiff of Apple smell. And that was the scent that they got developed for them. And at the end of the production line, they spray it in all of their machinery and they spray it in their store. So when you go into a store, you get that emotional connection of, oh, I I smelt that when I bought that great Apple thing. And and so all of these great and wonderful things, but actually anybody can apply them. Anybody can apply them to a business, whether you're a tiny, tiny brand in, you know, in, in Britain or you're a super multinational. It, we're all emotional, like you said. And so yeah. I guess leading on from that, without giving away all your secrets, <laughs> what 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 would you say is is a good way for a business to be thinking more about their copy and of course they absolutely should get a copywriter in um but but even before getting you in um how should they start to really think about how to create that copy and consistent Mm -hmm. messaging and tailor it to an audience and make sure that their outcome is actually sold to the customer yeah um yeah, getting a professional copywriter is obviously the key thing. It doesn't have to be me, but someone. <laughs> but if you are thinking about looking at it yourself, um, I think often what people are trying to do with their customers is just made me think about it when you spoke about the Apple thing. It's draw them into the circle, make them feel like an insider, like they're part, they're in the know, they're part of the team. Um, and this might be about telling stories about, um, you know, little insider looks into your business. I'm thinking about a client that I work with in Derbyshire um, who make ladies fashions. And it's a, you know, it's a family business, but they do really well. And one of the things they do really well is they is they show the makers. Um, it's not happening behind some curtain, you know, that you never see. They show the makers and that really helps with this sense of, um customers feeling like they they are part of the club um so in terms of the stories you tell think about what you can reveal about yourself um 
and don't be afraid of that. I think sometimes, especially smaller companies, are afraid of that. It's a, it is a bit like, well, we have to keep everything behind the screen because what if somebody sees something that's not 100% perfect? Well, sometimes it's the things that aren't 100% perfect that make you look human. Um, so think about what you can and can't reveal and, the, you know, the stories that you can tell about yourself. But also, just in terms of the craft of copywriting, simplicity if you know you just got to say if I just had to say one word to someone who wasn't a copywriter about you know writing simplicity this is not an opportunity to show off your extensive vocabulary in fact it's the opposite of that um it's not an opportunity to remember all the rules of grammar that you were taught when you were 12 again it's probably the opposite of that being a, a good and effective writer means knowing when to when breaking the rules is okay um and a lot of the greatest particularly advertising communications, you know, break every rule there is. Um, so keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate things. Always try to remember who you are as a company and what you think you might sound like. Very difficult, you know, diff you might be a firm of solicitors and you do want to sound quite formal, but you know, for a lot of people, that's not, that's not the truth, the truth of their, of their brand. Um, and just, yeah, keep it keep it simple. Keep it to the point. Always tell one message at a time. You know, if you're whether you're doing an email, social media post, revamping your website, don't try and tell three different messages all at one time. You know, if you've got three things to say, write three different messages. You know, so otherwise people just won't take anything away with them. Um, and get someone else to read it. Don't writing, although it is a quite uh, you know it's an individual thing in the actual time of writing it's not something that's that writing good copy is not done in isolation by any means it, it it is um you know a collaborative business and whether you're working with a designer creative director or you're working with your clients directly maybe you're lucky enough to have some um consumers customers available that you can test things on test it with people who don't know anything about the business Test it with people who already love the business and proofread everything at least three times. <laughs> Not just yourself. <laughs> Other people. We've all seen those horrendous mistakes. I can't um, emphasize enough that all of this hard work goes to hell in a handbasket if there's a spelling mistake in the middle of it. It's, you know, all that work you've done is a complete waste of time because you just look like a fool. So I cannot stress enough that when you think you've got it check it check it and check it again yeah i'm sure you've seen that post that's been going around on linkedin about the waitress yeah. slip up that was a great one you know yeah. sort of <laughs> yeah brilliant yeah as you said you yeah just check check and check and and i think like you said as, as well other opinions um one of the best things I've I've ever been a part of was um, one of my old mentors, Robin, who um, runs a sustainable marketing business in London. He used to do these great roundtable events where he'd get brands in and they'd be very clear and, and what they thought they were and what they thought their messaging was. And he'd fill this table with what I could only describe as the best Mad Hatter's tea party you can imagine. So there'd be literary agents and writers and advertisers, marketers, um, you know, sports stars. I mean, you know, anyone and everyone that he had within his network, all from very unusual walks of life with different perspectives. And he'd fill this table with sort of 15 people 
and do this full day real immersion with a brand and by the end of it you'd end up with something completely different to what the founder or CEO started with because obviously all of these different perspectives coming in and really I I think that's that outcome thing understanding what your customer is actually getting from your messaging not what you think you're giving out and and it's that's such a an important sometimes challenging thing to do but it's as you said it's creating that connection and sometimes you don't know that until you do talk to other people and you do Mm -hmm. talk to uh, you know not necessarily sort of friends but maybe people in your network I mean you know LinkedIn's a great place to do that connect with a few people on a group message that you know who are professionals in their own right and and just pass if you're going to do something really big getting opinions on things to make sure that that piece of copy is actually sends the right message to to your customers mm. yeah i agree um because everybody brings their their own perspective to things and and one of the worries about marketing teams is it can become a bit of an echo chamber so you do need to break out of that sometimes and take the rather scary risk of talking to people who don't come from your background, maybe don't know your brand, maybe they like a different competitor brand, um, and hearing their honest feedback, which sometimes is great and sometimes is less great, depends. Um, but also I would slightly temper that by saying um, research for me of any kind only takes you to a certain place um i mean there's that quote which i'm probably just about to misquote about um ford when he said if i'd asked customers what they wanted they would have said a faster horse sometimes you've got to say Mm. yeah that's what the research tells me but i really feel that this is the next step for us and we're we're just going to have to push through it um so i would always say and i have seen um really positive ideas for brands go by the wayside as soon as they get to customer research and, and and be dumped and I think that wasn't you know maybe that wasn't the right thing to do you do have to listen to your customers and your non-customers of course you do but at the same time if you only ask people what they want they'll say more of what we've already got and then eventually you find that you've stood still and everybody else has rushed past you so research is absolutely essential but I think you've also got to temper that with your own vision um and what you know about the marketplace you know because sometimes there's something coming over the horizon that your customers or you know they might not be aware of this but you are so yes take their comments um if there's anything that's ringing really untrue with them you know and everybody's just turning their nose up and saying no obviously you've got to pay attention to that but you you've also got to use your own noggin as well I think um so that you don't just, you know, go round and round and round in circles, doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, but as you say, it's it's getting that sort of balance of innovation and being not being too scared to be brave sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but but also it's a learning experience, right? You know, this is business is trial and error to to some great extent. And sometimes when you are being innovative and you are bringing out a new product or a new range or you're rebranding, you are going to get a bit of pushback. You know, you are going to get customers saying, oh, well, I, I prefer the last logo or I don't really like this new tone of voice because it sounds different. But mm. but like you said, ultimately, you've, you've got to be confident in your own vision of where you want to take it eventually. Yeah, people don't like change, do they? No, Most people no, don't no. Like change. Um, and I think we've all seen every time 
you know, a major brand even changes a logo or, you know, tweaks a logo, there's always, you know, social media campaigns to change it back. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if, if people didn't follow through with their own vision, everything would look like it did in the 1950s. You know, we have had to move with times. We have had to break a few eggs here and there. There's a difference, I think, between, be, you know, sort of interrupting the conversation and doing something a bit different and completely jumping up and down all over your brand and smashing it to pieces. There's there's a big difference. Um, so, yeah, you do have to you do have to innovate. You do have to change. We've all seen. Um, I mean, I'm particularly thinking about retail now. We've all seen people fall by the wayside because they haven't moved with the times. And they have just given customers what they've always wanted. And here it is again. Um, so, yeah, it's a balance, isn't it, between moving forward, taking risks. Got to be done. But, you know, and some, sometimes things won't, won't work out 100 percent. And that's why a lot of the work that I do, and I'm sure you as well, gets trialed first. You know, most things don't get immediate rollout to, you know, however many people Oftentimes there'll be, you know, if it's a small SME, it might be as simple as we do an email trial to a limited number of to a limited number of customers. Or if it's a massive, you know, national retailer, it might be a number of trial stores. Most things don't go, you know, we don't just jump from A to B without a little bit of, you know, trial along the way to make it a bit safer. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And and so um one one of the final questions and and again i'm sorry for all these loaded ones but um oh. <laughs> when if you could give an example of a difference that copies made because i you know obviously you hear this a lot in marketing people want to know the the stats and you know it's it's sometimes easy to do with things like seo and traffic to a website if you've got a bounce rate of x and you improve an seo and you rewrite a load of stuff you'll see a, a direct correlation of mm. the bounce rate drops and there's more conversions but can you give anything in terms of copy as uh, to try and hone down to people how important this is yeah i mean i can give an example that's very similar to the kind of thing that you've just given actually um which was some work i did with a creative agency who i often work with for a national energy supplier um last summer this was last summer about this time last year and um they wanted to promote people having new boilers because they ideally want people to have new boilers in the summer because then they don't break down in the winter but nobody when it's 30 degrees outside is thinking about putting a new boiler in who wants to do that you know <laughs> everyone's spending their money on their summer holidays no i don't want to put a boiler in but every year they you know sent this customer email out and they tried a few different kinds and they had the one that they found was the most effective one. Um, and we were tasked with, can you do any better? So obviously there was a degree of design work in this as well, but it was an email. So it wasn't like a campaign or anything. It was an email. So it, it looked nice and shiny, but we rewrote the copy. Um, and the uptake increased by over 200%. Wow. So, in fact, a lot over 200%, getting up towards 300%. So, obviously, yeah, I'm not taking anything away from the fact that it looked lovely and fresh, but most of the work in that was in, was in the copy um, in terms of changing customers' minds. So, yeah, and, and how much money did they spend to rewrite an email? That's not a massive piece of marketing spend. And look at the difference that it made. Um, so yeah, it's it, it it can be such a tremendous tool for ch for change. 
you know, and, and sometimes it's sales, as you've said, sometimes it's about getting more sign up or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's as powerful as that. And, and I guess, like you said, that that's the skill of, of a copywriter is, is to understand how to effectively communicate that. I mean, I, I was working on something relatively recently for a friend and um, <clears throat> another friend who's a copywriter based in London. And I sent her over this. I mean, it, it's it's a huge document that he's putting together. And she just went in and absolutely obliterated it, cut it down <laughs> by about... 70 percent you know and, and initially it was on a google doc so you get all those little you know amendments and all these mm. little bubbles and mm. i've changed this to this and by the time you would click through it all and made the amendments that the pages were just shrinking and shrinking and there was that initial fear of oh my god you know where's all this work gone but then actually when you sit down and read it afterwards it you just go oh my god well i you know we only instead of eight paragraphs we only needed two and yeah. you've it, it's the same message but it's just it's clear and yeah. it's it's almost that elevator pitch thing and I think I, I say that to a lot of businesses if, if you can't explain your business in two minutes there's a problem mm. because you're actually then restricting yourself from being able to communicate to your customers properly mm. because if if you you know that sort of I mean I, I see a lot of websites now people are spending around about the two minute mark you know sometimes a lot less so mm. you do have a very limited time now to make that copy do the job and like you said, that that's the skill, isn't it? How to that turn. Skill, it? And I think that's where copywriting differs from a lot of other kinds of writing. Um, and through my career, you know, I've, I've worked with lots of journalists, PRs, other kinds of writers who all have tremendous skills in their arena. Um, but I'm not a journalist and I, and I, I would be a, probably a terrible one. Um, neither am I a PR and I really would be a terrible PR. Um, being a, a good writer doesn't mean that you can necessarily find it that easy to cross fields. And one of the key things about copy is brevity. Absolutely. You know, whenever I've been working with, um, you know, junior members of, of the team, when I, when I was head of copy in an agency, one of the first things I would say to them over and over again, when we were refining their work, shorter, shorter, cut in a half, keep looking for those redundant words, you know, You've got 10 words. Okay, now I'd like to sit in five. You know, that's the, <laughs> that's part of the skill, a key part of the skill for copywriters. It's taking often very complex, rich messages, you know, there's lots of facets to them and lots of nuance and getting them across to customers in five seconds flat in a headline, you know, and that's, that's you know, if I was if I was to try and define what copywriting is in a nutshell in terms of the technical side of it, that that would probably be it. You know, and when I mentioned earlier about simplicity, I think brevity is part of that. It's simple language, not no convoluted sentence structure, and keep it short. You need to be able to say it or read it, you know, in in seconds. Because as you said, it could be the length of time that people are looking at a website. It could be, you know, when you look at your email inbox, you've got to get people to open that email just in a subject line. If they don't like the subject line, they won't open the email. Or it could be, you know, it could be something environmental. Quite a lot of my work has been in stores, you know, the messages that you see on the walls. And sometimes people say, what messages? What messages are on the walls in shops? I don't see any. Yeah, you do. <laughs> but they're short. They look natural. They look like they couldn't be said any other way. Um, 
Yes, and people are taking those messages in literally in seconds as they walk past. So, yeah, brevity is absolutely crucial. And that's, you know, sometimes it's much easier to say things in 100 words than it is to say them in 10. So, yeah, that's why we don't get paid by the word, copywriters. So, <laughs> otherwise, we'd be very, very poor. You should get paid for the amount of words you take out. <laughs> take out, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which case, I would make a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think it's when it almost gets to the point when it's subconscious i think that's when the magic really starts to happen with brand with color <clears throat> i mean i i don't know about you and i think this is another question i'd probably like from you but um pret is one of my favorite brands for that they're just really good at their messaging everything's super simple they really know their customer when you go in the store there's messages all over the walls but most of the time, as you said, people don't notice it and they just glance, take something in for half a second. And it's that subconscious sinking that, like I said, with aroma and all of these different things, um, it's it's kind of the magic when when uh, I th again, completely uh, destroying a quote. But but it was some, something said that, you know, magic is just sort of technology, but hidden to a point where it still feels subconscious it it's mm. it kind of blends into your environment and you're absorbing it without thinking about it yeah abs absolutely it becomes this is the kind of thing that i mean when i say it looks like it couldn't be any other way it's so naturally integrated into the environment into the whole brand experience that it feels it feels really natural um you know you think well that's just how they sound why why would they sound any different to that <laughs> but obviously a lot of thought and hard work went into that I do see, actually, it's interesting that you mentioned PrEP because at the moment, I think a lot of food brands are doing really interesting things. And I think they seem to have given themselves permission to be, to, to have their own personality. And you see, I've seen a lot, a lot of interesting stuff going on lately on food packaging, you know, and finding copy even sort of inside cardboard boxes. You know, I opened some pet food the other day for my dog and I ripped about the car up in the cardboard box and there was copy inside the cardboard box where, where probably most people never even see it because it just goes straight in the recycling. But every opportunity being used to act like a friend, you know, talk to you. And Prep does that really well, talks like a friend. Um, yeah, and I think food brands are, are, are on fire at the moment. I was looking at a brand the other day um, called Oatly. You, I don't know if you've come across them. They do oat milk with a dairy alternative milk. Oh, yes. But Sorry, Oatly. Yes, yeah, quite, yeah. Yeah, quite a relatively niche thing. Yeah. But, oh, my goodness, that copy's good. And it's not just – I mean, it's got some of the quirkiness of, of the innocent sort of uh, kind of field, but they're really into this whole zeitgeisty thing about taking on the food industry. Now, they're part of the food industry, and yet they – you know take on the food industry it's very clever um you know and uh, there was something on one of the back of their cartons come on food industry show us your stats yes yeah. and I, they sound yeah. almost a little bit activisty not in a scary way they still sound friendly warm family all those yeah. things yeah sure but they sound like they're an, an interrupter yeah and it's just lovely and they're copy you know they pack that copy on i mean normally we're telling people white space you know clear clean but no they pack copy onto every little tiny bit of their packaging and for them in that particular circumstance well it's not something i recommend to everybody it really works you know and i'm seeing a lot of um 
a lot of food brands, food and drink brands, having some real fun with their coffee at the minute and feeling, you know, well, let's, you know, let's push it. And I suppose that probably is because of some of the trailblazers like Innocent, like Pret, you know, they were very early adopters of, of being more playful with their language. I suppose they've opened the gates and allowed people to do their own thing. But what's interesting now, a few years ago, everybody just wanted to sound like Innocent, which is the opposite of what you want to do. And I think we've moved past that now. And people are saying, well, no, we don't want to sound like Innocent. We want to sound like us. You know, and uh, yeah, so there's a lot of good things happening in uh, in food and drink at the moment, I think. Yeah, definitely completely agree. I mean, I went to the uh, International Food and Drink Expo uh, this year in March and yeah, you know, astounded every year at the creativity within the sector. Um, and, and I think they have to be because it's a hyper competitive industry. I mean, obviously, yeah. uh, you know, that's what I built my business in for sort of over 10 years. And, and it is, it's super competitive. It's one on the shelf, one off. Um, so you do have to really think about being creative and innovative and with your copy and your flavors and everything has to come together. And so with respect to that, um, name some of your favorite brands. If, if, if people want to go away and maybe look at like what, what good copy really looks like or um, yeah. what you think people are doing that is actually cool. I mean, obviously, you, you mentioned Oatly. Are, are there any others that really come yeah. to mind? There's in terms of I'm trying to think of some smaller, smaller brands. There's a there's a florist, online florist called Bloom and Wild, who I think are doing some really nice things at the moment. I don't know if you've come across them. Um, they're very much trying to, well, it seems to me, they're trying to make floristry feel a bit more contemporary. Often when you look at sending flowers online, you know, the kind of interflorers of this world, etc. they occupy a space and they've done, you know, they do very well, they provide a service, but they can feel a little bit dated. And some of the work that Bloom and Wild are doing, I think, in terms of making it feel fresh and contemporary, presumably appealing to not necessarily, I mean, a younger customer, but not necessarily a younger customer, but just a customer with a, a younger frame of mind. Um, and I like the way they their customer emails are phrased and so on. I, I like the stories that they're telling. They did a little thing at Father's Day where when everyone's hitting you you know, what happens when you get to events, your email gets flooded with, you know, Valentine's Day, Father's Day, whatever it is. And they did this lovely one, I thought, that, you know, when we were speaking earlier about bringing people into the circle, into your circle, where it said, if you'd like to turn off Father's Day messaging, because Father's Day is a hard time for you, just click here, we won't send oh, you anymore. Wow. Oh, that's smart. That's really nice. And I yeah. thought, well, you know, mm. I, I don't have a dad anymore, sadly. And so, yeah, you understand yeah, different, different holidays and celebrations are diff difficult for certain groups of people. And I just thought that felt to me as if you care more about me as a customer than you do about trying to flog me some flowers. Mm. And instantly we spoke about emotional connection. There it is right there. So I think they're doing some lovely things. Um, oh, yeah, I know who I love. Um there's a brand, you know, it's about wine, which probably tells you a lot about me. Um, there's a brand <laughs> Naked Wines, and they've been in the news a bit recently because they began as an independent. Um, then they got bought out by Majestic to a bit of hoo-ha. And, and now I think the tail started to wag the dog and Naked are kind of taken over from Majestic. But whoever writes their copy, I just adore them. I think it's just lovely copy. It's certainly got that club feel about it. You know, it makes you feel like an insider. Um, they sound 
they sound fun and friendly and warm and they and they have a bit of a joke with their customers but they still sound superbly professional and that's one of the things i think often clients struggle with it's 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 having fun and being friendly balanced with yeah but we're real serious professionals well you can do both you know most people in the workplace like to sound fun and friendly but we are also serious professionals you can have both in one tone of voice and i think yeah naked wines if i, I would love to work do some work for them because their coffee's just yummy i love it and they make me like so much wine they need to... uh, you know sometimes i'm like no i don't need anything and by the time i've finished reading their their post or whatever it is i think oh yeah well maybe i'll just get some of that um so yeah there's i, I would recommend having a look at them if you want to see a really nice um cohesive and consistent tone of voice that really understands its customer um, and really understands many of the things that we've spoken about in terms of letting people see behind the scenes, seeing the makers, hearing from, you know, the buyers. So they're really, really good at that. Yeah. Right, fab, that's great. And I'll put all this in, in the description below so people can, can have a look if, if you're listening on YouTube. Um, and yeah, and I think one last question. In respect to where you've been, obviously, through your career and how you've seen copy change, how how do you think it is going to change over the next few years? I think it's becoming more of many brands' strategic thinking. I think it used to be, there used to be marketing and then there was creative and then, oh, if we have got any money left, we'll do some copywriting. And I think what from what I'm seeing, more and more companies are drawing both the creative and the copywriting side of things into their strategic thinking and their strategic planning because it's not just about well these are our messages we've decided what they are now let's bring in the creatives and the writers to bring them into action i think we're seeing more and more people start to think about messaging communications message hierarchy brand tone brand language brand narrative all those things that you know we talk about at a much earlier stage in their decision making um and that's obviously, I would think, a great thing because that's where where things start to sound really knitted together, really well thought out, streamlined. You don't it, you don't get that clunk clunk kind of feel when the creative doesn't quite match the strategy, you know. So I think that's that's happening a lot. Um, I think, as you've said, people are going to have to think a lot harder about copy because of our time poor, um, my time poor attention poor way of living now. Um, you know, I've talked about simplicity and brevity. I think that's just going to increase um, in terms of, you know, having to be more and more and more immediate. I think we are going to hear more real voices, um, particularly as you said, when it comes to video. You know, I think we're going to see more and more, whether it's founders or makers, you know, faces on camera. So we're going to think about how those people talk. Um yeah, and, and, and messages, we're just going to have to move more quickly as well, you know, because everything these days it, it moves so moves so fast. And I think there are things that will always take a long time to consider. Nobody's going to create a brand in two weeks. You know, there'll always be work that's, that's, that takes a lot of consideration and deep thinking. But I think in terms of day-to-day -day messaging, you know, speed, things are only just going to keep getting faster, I think. And, um, and moving faster means thinking very very carefully you know if you're not going to trip yourself up and the social media is absolutely key to that we've all seen brands trip up deleting 
deleting messages, but not before they've gone viral. <laughs> um, so I sometimes wonder if they do that on purpose. Uh, <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's that it's that immediacy and transparency that I think we're going to see increasing in the future. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and and I think it, it is nice that we're seeing this shift across. Um, I I just feel like a lot more companies are, are getting more human. Which, which I think is a great thing because I've, I've been saying to people for a long time, people buy from people. And, yeah. and the sooner we can get to that and the better we can do in our video and our copy to show off who we are. And, and not everyone's going to love you because, yeah. uh, you know, we, we can't be friends with everybody on the planet. Um, mm. People resonate with you or they don't. And whether it's mm. based on a lifestyle choice or an opinion or something. But, but I think sometimes it's it's actually being brave enough to share some of those and you are going to put people off, but then the people that you do connect with, you're going to connect with deeper. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And one of the hardest things to do is appeal to a demographic that is too wide. Um, and one of the retailers that I've been lucky enough to work with a lot over my career, it's a massive high street retailer, and their demographic really is everybody. Um and which is the worst <laughs> thing you want to hear in marketing isn't it? everybody yes. and people always say that and and, and and it never is it never is as you've yeah. just described but every now and again you find a client who oh wow I mean I've done some work for NHS as well obviously their client is pretty much everybody and they're the hardest of all because you want to appeal to everyone but you have to be really careful you know when you're when you're courting this uh, you know customer group over here you might be alienating that group over there so the wider the demographic, the the trickier it can be. Um, I, and I think that brands and businesses who have a very well-defined customer set because it's, you know, they do a particular sport or they have a particular problem or whatever it is, um, actually you're in a you're in a great place because you can you can really target those people very, you know, very um distinctly. And as you said, you can't be friends with everybody. If people if you're a surfing brand and you don't appeal to somebody who rides a bike, well, so what? They were never going to buy your surfboard anyway. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. Can't be friends with everyone. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <of> the day. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Well, Sharon, th thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, oh, pleasure. I'll, I'll put all of your details below in the description. Um, if you listen to this on audio, it'll be in the link in the description. And obviously on YouTube, it, it'll be below. Um, but yeah, if, if there's anything more you want to say about yourself, please do shameless plug time. <laughs> Uh, well, no, just that I'm always happy to hear from new people, do different kinds of work, do all the strategic thinking stuff that we've been speaking about today. Um, but also just as happy if you've already got your, you know, you're delighted with your brand guidelines and you have an established tone of voice and, you know, you just want someone to do some making. I do making as well. So whether that's campaigns, advertising, catalogs, whatever you want to do, I'm a, I can do that as well. So always delighted to hear from new people. Or to connect on LinkedIn, just to you know, to to have a chat on LinkedIn if there at any time. So yeah, do get in touch if you'd like to. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Sharon. Great to talk Thank to you. you. Thank you. Thank you very much. See you soon. <laughs> Cheers.